0: So,
1: good. so, Chris. Yeah.
0: Tell me about your early life. Where were you born?
1: I was born in UCH Hospital. Um, I think actually, was where I was born. Yeah, I was, and went to a, where my parents were living in a flat, which was in earshot of Regent's Park. You know, the zoo. Oh, great. So they used to bump into Desmond Morris, who lived nearby. And then, pretty soon after that, we moved to Three Arkwright Road, Hampstead. Yes. In a house where my granny lived upstairs, and we had lodges in the basement. And um, two sisters that lived up on the top floor. And that's where my parents lived for the rest of their days.
0: Yeah, I remember
1: that house. Mm. amazing Beautiful place. house. Yeah. Um, yep. Tell
0: when, me about your mum and dad.
1: So, well, actually, God, we've just, I've just been introduced to a fascinating bit of uh, family history. So my parents married after the war uh, when they were both working for the Council of Industrial Design. Oh, and my dad got married just before the war and I've just, I've been sent a letter that his, a relation of his wrote saying what, he'd made this terrible decision, he'd married this woman who's described as being dirty <laughs> and completely wrong for him, it's like it was the night before he went back to the front to see action during the war and this this um, relation is a at his selfishness, because he got married without his parents being there. It's obviously a huge mistake. And there was somebody else he was thinking about marrying that same day, apparently, but he went and picked this one. So, uh, and she was a Quaker, I know that much, because she encouraged him to not go to fight. That was one thing. And I remember when I was, I don't know, as a kid, discovering to my sort of, well, not horror, but my sort of amazement that... After the war, Dad was in Italy. He loved Italy, and he was about to settle down outside Rome and set up a haulage company married to this other woman. (laughs) And then she, I think, I don't know, the marriage fell apart, and he came back to Britain. So my very sort of settled parents suddenly, you know, this other side of things was revealed, which was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And my mum was brought up in Hampstead and various other places like that and she wrote I've also been looking at some of her articles she used to write for Woman magazine she was part of Edith Blair who was a kind of um, the tester out of new consumer devices mm-hmm. and before that she she wrote an article about um, child safety for Time and Tide magazine mm. and it's all about don't set fire to your children. <laughs> There's one very ferocious article about lack of good security, you know, um, testing of uh, children's pajamas that burst into flames and mm. things like that. Uh, yeah.
0: And your 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 dad was at heels.
1: He worked at heels. He was a teacher, I think, before the war. Maths teacher drove me nuts because he was always failing to try and do helped me with my maths in a way that was far more complicated than it needed to be and then he worked in Heels on Tottenham Court Road in contract furnishing uh, sort of, yeah middle management I suppose and then he was made redundant very early on, that's the first wave of you know, people coming in and chopping off and telling people to leave within half an hour and take all their things with them. Gosh um, when he set up his own sort of consultancy for a bit but he was also, he was a big hobbyist, he was, became a Buddhist, he was a beekeeper for a while, uh, he was a sculptor, um, bread maker, wine maker, doing all those sorts of things. Very lovely, lovely man, actually. Yeah. Um, so what? It was, yep. So what? it was a bit of a shock when he lost his job and suddenly his business side kind of appeared in the house because he set up his own little company. Oh, Right. Home. Which, you know, uh, survived for a few years, um, but yeah, there was, suddenly we saw his work side. I mean, which wasn't dramatically different, but it was a bit of a—he was such a sort of hobby home person, really—that was quite a shock.
0: Where did you go to school?
1: I went originally to there was a nursery round the corner, one by a ca- woman called Miss Watson, who used to—I think—taught ta- ta- my mum actually, who was sort of brought up in Hampstead. Then I went to the Hall School, which was a prep school. And um, I mean, I always hated school, but the Hall was kind of better than Highgate, which I went on to, which I absolutely loathed. And then I went to Ballbrook Sixth Form College after kicking up a fuss and all that. Uh, Yeah.
0: And after that?
1: And then I went to... Well, then I left. I didn't want to go on. You know, I wanted to be free and escape education. So I moved down to... I went to see a friend of mine who was at Cambridge, and I got a job at Heffers Bookshop and worked there for two years. This was kind of before gap years were a thing, really, but it was like a gap year. I mean, it turned out to be. But it was more like I didn't want to have anything to do with college. And then I went to Cambridge Tech, which was... He's now Anglia University, and Ruskin University, whatever it was, and did English and European Thought and Literature. But going back a bit, one of the really interesting pre-lockdown things that is that just before lockdown, this guy George Dubin came over from America, who was at the Hall between 1968 and
0: 69. At the Hall? The Hall School. Yeah.
1: When we were very good friends, or I was I think I was just besotted with him. He seemed so cool and he had long hair and, and kind of I picture him with a very deep he's now got a very deep voice, but he probably can't have done then. He was only twelve, or whatever it was. And um yeah, and then at the end of that time we did for the sort of school play, which was normally little skits and things like that, the house play. Uh, we we did a happening with dry ice and me shouting the <laughs> words of genesis through a loud hailer and ravi shankar and the cream being played loud and a light show and uh, confetti being sort of thrown at people over the, over the from the, the gallery in this big hall at the hall wow and um it, there was a review by our english teacher saying it was bordering on blasphemous but on the other hand, they did tidy everything up afterwards. <laughs> They're very <laughs> impressed by that. Uh, and it was amazing. So to, um, George came over, and, and he's a painter. and I'm, So, you know, I was the writer then, and he was the artist. And we're now at the other end of our kind of career. You know, he paints and I write. And it was absolutely fantastic to see him. And then have this sort of pristine set of memories of mm. this extraordinary year. So... Um, that's been a very nice bit of looking back at a time, which mostly I think I was fairly kind of, you know, school days. I don't look back on with great pleasure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So was college better?
1: Yeah, I really loved the tech. What was great about that, I remember sitting on a Friday afternoon in a, a lesson where we just take apart a poem with a teacher who was very good at, Know, the person who said they thought it was shit, you know, but he'd say, Well oh, that's interesting, why exactly do you think it was shit? And out of that would come a kind of positive or an interesting take on the poem. And I was thinking, Wow, this is I could uh, you know, I'd normally be stock taking in a penguin bookshop in Heifers <laughs> and here I am kind of learning stuff. So it was when, you know, suddenly education seemed like such a a luxury really. And there was something about the kind of um, what, inverted snobbery of being at the tech in Cambridge. You know, we, we're very proud of being not at the university. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I enjoyed that.
0: Did you Did you come in contact with the the sort of proper gown? Uh,
1: types? Well, I mean, I had friends there. I have lots. Of, I ended up living staying with people who used to come into the bookshop and then I discovered that they, while they were chatting to me they were kind of shoveling books into their bags <laughs> that were shoplifting off me. Um, another nice lockdown thing is I got back in, or the, a guy called Simon got in touch He was my best mate at college and we'd sit in the cafe and you know talk and ideas mm-hmm. and he, was, um, he had been ill and was saying how influential those conversations have been. He was an English teacher after that.
0: Well, that's good to
1: know. So it was really nice. and uh, We had a Zoom and, um, you know, clicked after all that time. So another kind of mm. getting back. Yeah.
0: So after college.
1: Well, then, OK, so the other thing going on, briefly, is that Hattie, my now wife, was my best friend from when I was about 16. And when, we were at, when I was living in Cambridge, she, her and her boyfriend came to share our house. Was a, sorry, there was a whole group of us. And I was, had my girlfriend. And um, when, when was it? At about 20, we were in our maybe 21, um, Hattie and I kind of got together very explosively and um, creating terrible traumas for everybody around us. At which point we had to suddenly leave the shared house and ended up staying in various university friends. Oh, you mean rooms. the traumas
0: were in the, the shared house, were they? Yeah, I mean, the Not two... Not with your families?
1: Uh, no, it was more the two the two partners. Ah, yeah. I understand, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for a while we were kind of camping in different places around... Oh, how romantic. Cambridge ...in those sort of shared houses which were known by their... The name <laughs> of the street, you know, so it's like...
0: <laughs> Safe uh, houses. A radical, <laughs> you know. Well, were they radical?
1: No, maybe they were beginning to be, yeah. Uh, so, and the beginnings of, you know, involvement in the kind of... There was an anarchist group and the women's movement was the, the yeah. thing. And so, uh, that was all very exciting. Yeah. So then after that, Hat went up to Sheffield to do... She'd done an art foundation at Cambridge Tech. And then she went up to Sheffield to do the full course. And I finished off at the uni... Because by then I was doing the course. And then I followed her up to Sheffield. Mm.
0: Mm. And what did you do in Sheffield?
1: Uh, signed on. I remember a friend, <laughs> The son of a, a... seven-year-old friend, the son of a friend of mine, asked what he wanted to do when he grew up. He said, I'm going to sign on like my dad. <laughs> so...
0: Uh, when did you get involved in libraries
1: so well actually the first thing was caught cool. i did this, I was a community artist on one of those step schemes you know it was un- right. high unemployment, the radical socialist Republic of South Yorkshire, lots of um, activism and um, so i was yeah I painted murals in various places for a year on a scheme and then um,
0: Say more about the, the, the murals. What, where did you where did you paint them?
1: Well, they were either in sort of com- on the walls of community centres outside. I remember mm. doing one actually in a women's refuge. I was just thinking, how could that be? But or you know, you know, I mean. But they had per-
0: you had permission. Permission, yeah, yeah. It wasn't,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, there were three of us. It was quite a fun project, really. Uh, all funded by the council, you know. And now I was doing sort of youth work stuff, talking to boys about sort of anti sexism or talking to them about being boys. Mm. Uh, lads in youth clubs who were often um, not remotely anti sexist, but we'd talk about all that stuff. And um, I worked at Common Ground Resources Centre where I set up the Common Sound Sound Collective. Really? Which did a m- little cassette magazine, talk about technology. Mm. And we had a studio where lots of uh, local black youth came in and did what was toasting. It's like pre all sorts of hip hop and stuff since, but recording, as in lovers rock, you know, to- uh, talking over the uh, records, uh, sound systems, and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, involved in the kind of complexities of you know the whole politics of that sort of. World at that time, community arts and things. And then I got... Well, it was after Was it after Joe was born. Moving on a bit. I was writing then. I was reviewing for the Hammond, Hampstead and Highgate Express for a while.
0: So you're still in Sheffield? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: How did I get to be doing that? Um, quite a lot went on when I was there. No, I was in Sheffield when I was writing. I wrote this We Two Boys, a play which got a, won the Orwell Prize and got a bit of money for. And uh, doing cartoons, drawing cartoons at Common Ground, that was where that started. And did a bit of that freelance on another of those schemes where you could set up as a freelance anything you liked to get you off the dole figures, but you basically paid the dole money and writing for a thing called The Friday Show, where I invented Betty Spittle, which we'll, we'll probably come back to.
0: Where did, the, where did The Friday Show take place?
1: That was at the Leadmill, um, and it was a new venue at the time. And the idea was that every Friday there'd be this sort of topical cabaret, and a great pool of unpaid writers and actors put that together. And quite early on there was this search for... Um, you know, kind of regular figures who would root it in Sheffield. Uh, and Betty Spital, a radical pensioner, was born to, to do that, played by a friend of mine called Jane Jarman, or Jane mm-hmm. Baker. Uh, but somewhere missing in all of that. So, yeah, after Joe was born, at that point I got a part-time job working for Sheffield Libraries with a woman called Rachel Van Reel and we were the two community arts coordinators. And we did all sorts of good stuff actually. Set up a thing called Write Back, which was a kind of scheme for local writers to
0: That was W R I. W R I T E.
1: You could put your poems on the board in the library so it was like you there you were, you were in the public domain. Lovely. You could photocopy, you know, we could mm. take copies of stuff so you were sort of published by being there. And we did a thing called the Beano for a, writer, a local writer called Rony Robinson, whose book came out, which was about the day trip from the, the works to the seaside. Uh, and the sort of so Would that be era. the steel,
0: the um, cutlery works?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I think it was the steel. Yeah, the steelwork who's setting off to the seaside. Was uh,
0: there was there still much industry when the, you?
1: Were in uh, yeah, there was. I mean, I did big poster for the Save Our Steel campaign, but there was still little. Um, workshops going on. I remember seeing you know, it being poor, but it was all on its way out. All and of that, cutlery. That's what was going yeah. on. Uh, yeah, it was the sort of the dying of all of that. Um, and for the Beano, we did a whole, we took over the library, we had sort of donkey rides outside the library <laughs> and um, Roni read from the book all the way through the day and the staff all dressed up in appropriate costumes and uh we had what, a, what
0: was what sort of
1: costumes what were they well, like? it was kind of edwardian um you know uh, ordinary people's clothes yeah. things like that and we had a yeah kind of a body in the library we had a kind of murder mystery going on where you, and in the papers you could have to guess who who'd done it um and there were lots of very kind of suspicious looking library staff members who <laughs> so we did yeah some really interesting things like that um Leading so up was, to a thing called the opening the book festival. Which what sort a of year festival. was this? So the opening the book festival when I, and when I left Sheffield was eighty nine, and Joe was born in eighty four, and I won. the The we two boys came out in... I was well. I won the prize in eighty four, so been there, been to Edinburgh a couple of years before that.
0: To the festival.
1: Yeah.
0: With what did you take there?
1: Uh, this play We two Boys two-hander yeah. okay uh, directed by Jane Collins uh, and I, I remember sitting doing the lights watching it was great it was a week in the venue
0: Where was the venue
1: it was Celtic Lodge and it was just that fantastic there's some sort of neatness of it all you know you saw it, see people coming in and they seemed to like it and then we got a good review by the end of the week and it yeah. filled up you know all that kind of stuff yeah Oh, it was fantastic, mm. actually. That was a real high. And, um, yeah. So, and then Betty Spittle, I remember another, I mean, some fantastic things happened then. Betty Spittle, the, the first, we, she was a character, this sort of left-wing take on the left. I mean, in a way, looking back, what well, the, the joke was that, you know, grey politics was a, was a thing, um, so it was a, a parody of the left by saying, "Imagine if, if the pensioners saw themselves as you know t- fighting ageism in the same way." Mm. And of course, since then, the fight against ageism has taken off, and a lot of things about socialism have died the death. Really, <laughs> but Betty demanded a, a minimum stand of dying age of eighty-seven, and the immediate release of Nelson Mandela. You know, which sort of sets it in context, pretty much. Right. Um, and when the book was brought out by a local publisher called Yorkshire Art Circus there was a roney who worked for Radio Sheffield we had a whole thing where various people like Claire Vanables from the, the Crucible and Adrian from the lead sort of spoke about Betty and her huge influence on the city and this was all on Radio Sheffield it was extraordinary. A spoof it was a spoof. Yeah and yeah. we put up these fake blue plaques all around you know Betty Spittles snobbed Karl Marx here and things like that. <laughs> And we even planted letters in... I remember getting a letter in The New Statesman accusing somebody of ageism for, for an ageist remark, you know, but sort of... Fantastic. Kind of thing. It was good fun. And, um, and then Penguin Books picked it up, which seemed like the great breakthrough. And then when it came out, uh, it didn't really take off. The publicist was sacked and it was a bad year for publishing and uh. all the rest of it. But, you know, so it goes. So they were very creative times, actually.
0: Yeah.
1: And the other thing which we've just been going back to is that when we first, in 1980, when Hatt was finishing her um, sculpture degree, we did a thing called Last Tangle, which was a tape slideshow. <laughs> uh, very earnest, despite the title, involving us, mostly naked, kind of, and text about... What, you and Hattie? Yeah. Text about if men were really men, then they'd be able to see women, you know, uh, without, uh, you know, it could uh, afresh. And uh, some poems of mine and statements of Hattie's, and it was it was really powerful. We showed this as part of her final year. Mm-hmm. And recently, I came across all the slides of that, and we've just then we've we've been sort of reworking it, so I've been updating it. <laughs> Taking pictures of yourselves. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm quite excited about it, actually. It was fascinating. And then we also, with it, there were some other pictures we'd taken of each other, some of which I'd taken and Hattie had never actually shown me, you know, because I think she looked too traditionally lovely in them. (laughs) (laughs) Or whichever way you'd like to spin that, you know, (laughs) but uh, the male gaze, you know, Mm. too effective. So it was fascinating Kind of fun to come across these things again, think about them
0: again great
1: So a whole set of the yeah, creative and political times, yep.